Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends anywhere in the world who would like to watch the show or who you would like to watch the show, give them a ring, tell them to go to www.bornagainmormon.com and click on the TV show. They can click on Watch the Show Live. Streaming video anywhere in the world is available to you right now. In the house, another great group. We have Mary, Ellen, we have Robert, Matt and Maggie, Reed, Nathan, Eileen, Dan, Elaine, Jed, Betty, Glenn, Nancy, Dave, Margaret, Catherine, Buster, he's in the car, he's a dog, Sharon, Shelly, Samantha, Mike, Chip, and I think a few others who just walked in. Apologies for missing your name. It's a great group and uh, love to have you here. So let's move on. Uh, let me give you a quick announcement. Um, Christ Evangelical Church will start holding their services starting February 3rd at Mountain View High School in Orem, 665 West Center. They held their last service last Sunday at Utah Valley State College. Um, and they were removed from there because of political machinations that are going down on down there in Happy Valley. So that's where they're going to meet now. Uh, okay, it, 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 I have to admit it. I was really a donkey last week, and I said something that was completely stupid, so I'm repenting right now. I said that Ken the astronomer came, and he showed me different pictures that the Hubble spacecraft had taken. And I said, because I believe this is what he had said, but he didn't, I said he get, showed me a picture of our galaxy. Well, what he did was he showed me a picture of a galaxy that was similar to ours. We don't have a picture of our galaxy because our galaxy is so big that no spacecraft has traveled outside of it to be able to take a picture of it. So you astronomers I know are laughing at me and, and, and I deserve the laughter. My apologies, uh, but it just shows it, it, it bodes even better for my point that God is so big that we don't even have a picture of our own galaxy yet, let alone the hundreds of millions or billions of galaxies that are out there uh, in space. So just want to clear that um, up. We're coming this next week to Boise, Idaho. On Sunday afternoon, I'll be speaking at the First Methodist Church in Nampa, 1.30 uh, p.m. on 12th Avenue. That's uh, 2717 12th Avenue in Nampa the First United Methodist Church at 1.30. And then that evening, I'll be speaking at the Nampa Calvary Chapel at 7 p.m. Then on Monday night, 
February 4th, we'll be at the KCLP Open House there in Nampa, too. From 7 to 9, the address is 309 and 11th Avenue South, Nampa, Idaho, um, right next to the Taco Time. But uh, everybody's welcome to come to any of these events, and we can meet and greet, talk, ask questions, have some books there if you want, whatever you want to do, we'd love to see you. And hey, those of you out there in the Orem, Springville, Provo area, on um, the 11th of February, a Monday evening from 5 to 7 p.m., I'm going to be at the Christ Great Gift of Grace Christian Supply at 248 South Main Street in Springville for a book signing. So uh, Gift of Grace Christian Supply, it's a bookstore there on Main Street in Springville. I would love to see you there. Okay, the LDS Church mourns the passing of their beloved prophet, Gordon Bittner Hinckley. I've received a number of calls and emails asking my thoughts on the death of this very old uh, person who they called the prophet, seer, and revelator of the church. First and foremost, Gordon B. Hinckley was a father and a husband. He was a grandfather and a great-grandfather. And so our condolences go out to all the family members who will surely miss the man and who are proud of the moral life that he lived. Secondly, Gordon B. Hinckley served millions of people over numerous decades. He inspired them with good morals and sound standards and an encouragement to stand for something. Moral leaders on this earth are always a great benefit and appreciate it, and he certainly will be missed for his contributions to the betterment of uh, people's lifestyles in this fallen world. Finally, Gordon B. Hinckley was put in a position to lead millions upon millions of trusting and believing people to a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was in a position to reveal to them the truths about Joseph Smith and his history. He could reveal the truths about the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. Gordon B. Hinckley was given the keys and the authority and the respect from his fellow men that placed him in a position to tell them that they are sinful, that they must be born again, and to emphasize that everyone on earth needs to have a relationship with Jesus Christ over an allegiance to a culture or the practices of Mormonism. In this final area, Gordon B. Hinckley failed. Over the past two days or so, talk radio and internet forums have received hundreds if not thousands of calls and posts from faithful LDS regarding the passing of their beloved prophet. The vast majority of these reports, upwards of 95% of the communications I've been privy to, have had a similar theme. They have said, Gordon B. Hinckley was a good, humble, faithful, moral, etc., etc. man, but now he is with his beloved Margie. KSL played an audio clip from him that said, quote, As I look back upon my life, I do so with a measure of wonder and awe. Everything good that has happened, including my marriage, I owe to my activity in the church. When Billy Graham dies or any other Christian dies, the universal Christian response will certainly be, he or she is now with the Lord. He is with the Lord whom they, whom they serve so well. But to the faithful Mormon who Gordon B. Hinckley has directly influenced and taught and led for most of his life, the sentiment which reveals the contents of the LDS heart has been, he's now with his wife. I would suggest to you, with all due respect to the extended family of Gordon B. Hinckley, 
that he is currently experiencing nothing short of a total theological shock. He has seen, possibly for the first time in his existence, the absolute terror and glory of the infinite living God, whom he claimed to not embrace the way Christians today embrace him. He has seen Joseph Smith's teaching revealed for the way they were, and he is profoundly aware of all he could have done to bring LDS people to a love for the cross and all he failed to do to free these people from the philosophies of men. May God bless your soul, Gordon B. Hinckley. And with this blessing, I challenge the next prophet, seer, and revelator, who it appears to be, uh, will be uh, Thomas S. Monson, to drop all the fables Joseph Smith Jr. presented as God-authored truth and to bring the general membership of your institution to a saving knowledge of Jesus as the uncreated eternal God of the Bible as being the infallible word of God and to the faithful doctrine that every single one of us is saved by grace and grace alone through faith on him who is mighty to save. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we love you and we thank you for this airtime and for our viewers, for our volunteers, for our station management ownership. We pray that the message will go out tonight. Such an important message uh, one of the most important messages for people to understand in the differences between Mormonism and Christianity. We pray for this, Lord, your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Last Saturday night, as I boarded the usual flight I take out of Long Beach, California, I was seated next to two women, a mother and daughter team, uh, who were there in California to see a theatrical production. They were friendly ladies, and I soon learned that they were faithful LDS. The daughter who was sitting next to me was in her mid-30s and she politely asked me a number of questions about myself. I told her that I was a pastor. Uh, she was very complimentary and seemed very supportive. Half the way through our flight, I informed her as our conversation progressed that I uh, had indeed been LDS for 40 years and then the plot thickened. Uh, <laughs> The woman's mother hadn't said an awful lot up to this point, but after learning that I used to be LDS and that I'm now a Christian pastor, she chose to enter into the discussion with a question. And I believe it was a question that she thought was going to represent the very best offensive take she could have towards someone who was LDS, towards someone who was LDS and is now a Christian. Um, and while I avoided asking her questions about Joseph Smith and his secret wives or the Pearl of Great Price or priesthood uh, in light of Hebrews, and oddly she wasn't bringing these things up either, I'm fairly certain, certain she actually believed she was going to rise up in that chair and send me to my knees with her one single question that she pulled out as soon as she could. So you believe they're all one? That was her question. You know, God and Jesus, they're all one? I simply said yes. And then she did what she had been programmatically taught to do. She used a specific situation out of the Bible, which she had been taught proves they are not one. And then she kind of threw it down awkwardly. She said, so what about the John the Baptist? And that was all she said. And, and I said, you mean John the Baptist, baptism of Jesus, where the spirit descended like a dove and the voice came out of heaven from the father that said, behold, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Are you asking me how does that relate to them all being one? And she said, yes, in a kind of with a, a smile. And I say, uh, and so I gave her some background that may or not, may or not, 
may or may not have been what she understood. Well, first of all, I think we need to clear something up. Now, she appeared to be listening, but after I finished speaking, it, I found out she wasn't listening at all. But anyway, I said the major difference between the LDS concept of God and the Christian belief in God is that the LDS believe God the Father has a body of flesh and bones, and Christians believe God the Father is a spirit. Otherwise, both traditions teach that they are three distinct personages. The second thing is that the LDS teach that these three personages are three separate gods that form a Godhead, where Christians believe that the three personages are God, one God, and the only God. She said, one God, and I replied, one God. And she said, what you call the Trinity. And uh, before I could respond, she mentioned something about the Nicene Creed, and then we kind of just lost the conversation and retreated back into talk about nothing. Tonight, I'm going to present to you with a biblical, a biblical defense of the Christian concept called the Trinity and teaching that the LDS, a teaching that the LDS strongly condemn and that they greatly mock, the LDS greatly mock the Christian idea of the Trinity or of one God. There are several Bible passages Mormons and their missionaries use to prove the idea of a trinity being false. We'll try to highlight these biggie passages the Mormon missionaries use in a minute. Out of all the Christian teachings that my LDS friends and family have the hardest time embracing, the trinity tops the list. There are a number of reasons for this. These are the reasons. First, it has been crammed into their head forever that God has a body of them. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Reading the Bible alone, if you haven't been born again, is not going to help. And being born again all by itself typically won't do it. You must have both, eyes and ears to see and hear, and the heart regenerated to understand what it's saying. Third, the Bible supports and teaches the doctrine of three beings and one God. This was not a product of Nicaea and men formulating a doctrine out of nothing. They formulated the doctrine using the Bible as their text, and they did so to offset heresies like Arianism, which were cropping up and taking hold in the hearts of weak believers. So at Nicaea, the church leaders said, let's get the Bible together, let's get the word together, and let's search it through, and let's come up with what the definition of God is so we can fight against Arianism and these other heresies that are cropping up around us. Fourth, just because some Christians explain the Trinity in faulty ways does not mean it's false. It simply means you're talking to Christians who are trying to explain something that is very difficult to get your arms around. And that brings me to the final point. Be very careful with feeling victorious because you have a belief in a makeup of God that can be qualified and quantified and readily explained in humanistic terms. In some areas of life, having all the answers is highly indicative of your having been duped. Groucho Marx once said he would never belong to a club that would have him as a member. And I likewise would not want to worship or honor or follow a God that my puny mind can fully comprehend. So with all this being said, let's get on with our defense of the Holy Trinity. To begin with, Every one of the three members of the Trinity are called God in Scripture. 
I'm going to give you some. Speaking of the Father, John 6, 27. For him hath God the Father sealed. All right? Speaking of the Son, Paul wrote, God was manifest in the flesh. And speaking of the Holy Ghost, um, Luke wrote about Paul being deceived by Ananias. And, and uh, Luke wrote, Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. There, Luke writes that Peter said that God was the Holy Ghost. Likewise, the word describes the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as being creators. The Father's a creator. The Son's a creator. The Holy Spirit's a creator of being omnipresent, of being omniscient, and of both of those, all three of those beings being resurrecting beings and indwelling beings, all right? All of these scriptural references can be found if you go to our notes on the show at the website at www.borman.com. Now, let me go to the board for a second, and I want to talk to you about the concept of God. We're looking at the Old Testament, okay? And we're looking at the names of God. Now, if you look at the word G, lowercase o, and D in the Old Testament, the, what you are reading is the Hebrew word Elohim, or Eloah, okay? That is a title for the name of God. It would be similar to captain or uh, general. It is, not the proper, it is not the proper noun for God. It's not his personal name. It's just the name God, okay? And so there are scriptural references where it talks about gods with a lowercase g even, and the word is Elohim because it's a title and it's talking about judges who act as gods here on this earth. But understand when you read uppercase G, O-D, lowercase, it's the word is Elohim in the Hebrew, okay? The next one is capital L and lowercase O-R-D. The word for that in the Hebrew is Adon, okay? Now, the, the Hebrew, the Jewish people had this superstition that when they were reading the sacred text, they could not use the name of God, the true name of God. So they came up and they would, when they would come up across the true name of God, they would say Adonai. And what that means is the absolute one in absolute control. That's what that means. And they substituted God's real proper noun name with the name Adonai, all right? So anytime you see L-O-R-D, lowercase o-r-d, what you're seeing is a name for God that the Jews used to describe his true name. Now we get to G-O-D uppercase and L-O-R-D uppercase, all right? And all those are called the Tetragrammaton. The Tetragrammaton, and that's just kind of a, a difficult name for uh, four consonants of the Hebrew alphabet, all right? And it's Y-H-W-H, -H, okay? And what that means then is, um, well, I'm not going to get too... Uh, uh, too into this, but just let you know, we don't really know how to pronounce this word because we don't have vowel markings. Now, the Hebrews have markings that they put between the consonants of their letters, and it will help you understand how to pronounce the words. But we don't have vowel markings for the Y-H-W-H. We will say Yahweh, or we will say Yehovah, Jehovah, but that is the proper name for God, and it's really not known exactly what it is. So anytime you read G-O-D-O-L-O-R-D, you're going to read 
Yahweh, and this is his proper noun name. Okay? I hope that wasn't too confusing. Let me carry on to explain what all this means relative to our discussion. The LDS maintain that the name Jehovah, which is Yahweh, okay, that the name Jehovah, uh, we're having all kinds of technical things going on in this show. I mean, it's insane. Okay. Uh, the LDS maintain that the name Jehovah, the proper noun for God, is Jesus' name. That's his special name. Okay, it's not God the Father, it's not the Trinitarian concept of God name, it's Jesus' personal name. They also teach that Elohim, which is just a title for the, the word God, is God the Father's personal name, all right? So when you're reading through the Old Testament and they come across these words, they apply the characteristics and traits of Elohim to God the Father and the characteristics and traits of Jehovah, anytime it's written, to Jesus, the problem is, and if you do a study on this, go to www.utlm.org and just do a study on the names of, of God in the Old Testament and do a search and find out how misused they are. Because what happens is there's characteristics that describe Jesus as judge, but it says Elohim. And, there's, and, and it will say that God, the, uh, the Father, there's all these characteristics that are uh, ascribed to not Jesus that are given to Jesus, and there's characteristics ascribed to the Father that are not given to uh, Jesus Christ. So it's a mismatch. You don't have any inconsistencies with Christians when it comes to understanding God and the nature of God in a, tr in a trinity because God is God. It is one thing. And so we can switch that board out because I'm going to get to the other thing. All right? Now, I know this show's a little different because it's a lot of stuff, but uh, let me get to the heart of the matter, and I can be so witty. All right. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. All right? All of Judaism, all of Islam, all of the Christian world believe in one God. What separates us from the heathen nations is the heathen nations are polytheistic and those three main worldwide religious groups believe in one God, the great Shema. It's Shema is Yisrael, Yehovah Elohim, Echad Yehovah. What that says is Jehovah our God is one Jehovah, all right? Jehovah, the proper name, our God, the captain, the title name is one Jehovah, proper name. That's what it says. 1 Corinthians 8, 4 in the New Testament says there is none other God than one. All right? To get a better grasp on this one God, let me take you back to a time before Jesus was born. Did you know that God was not spoken of in terms of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Did you know that God in the Old Testament would constantly affirm over and over and over again that he was God and there was none before him or after him? Did you know, now listen to this, my LDS friends, did you know that there, out of the entire Old Testament, there are only three passages that refer to God in fatherhood? Two of those passages are a lowercase f for fatherhood, meaning he's like the father of, of the human race, father of the people. Only one of those verses 
only one in the entire New Testament has father used with an uppercase F meaning father God. Only one. Wait till you hear which verse that is. It's going to blow your mind, but it's very important to understand. All right, so let me go to this board and let's just do a little diagram here. Here we have the Old Testament concept of God, all right? God, it, it definitely is um, a multiple of personalities. How do we know that? Because Genesis says, God said, let us make man in our own image. So we know that this one single God in the great Shema was divisible in parts, three parts in one God, but it was one God. When Jesus Christ was born, I want you to imagine that he grows up and he begins his ministry and Jesus Christ begins his ministry and he tells people, I am God. What do you suppose would happen as he's walking about and he's praying and he says, I am God and he prays. What do you think the people would think when, when he's praying? They would say, well, who are you praying to if you're God? You know, and then automatically they would think polytheism. So he receives the title, the Son of God. Why? Because he is in the flesh, incarnate. He came down and condescended below all things, took upon himself the flesh, and became subject to the Father of our spirits. It didn't make him less. It just made him now in this position that we're in so that he could take upon ourselves, take upon himself our sins and suffer for us. So what we have here is when the New Testament comes and, and uh, Jesus takes on flesh, then we have God that goes like this. We have God the Father. Is this falling? We have um, God the Son. I think I'm doing this wrong. And we have God the Holy Spirit. And I did this one part wrong, but anyway... The point being is God is a sinner and the Son is, is, came and condescended in the flesh. The Spirit is a spirit and the Father is in heaven. And it's three parts in one God. Does that make more sense to you? Now, wait, let me explain to you something that will support this in the Old Testament. That Venn diagram, you can change that too. And in the center where it says God, you can change it and you can put temple. And at the top, you can put uh, holy of holies and over here you could put outer court and over there you could put inner court it's one temple it's three parts you could put man or woman in the center where god is and it would say body it would say soul it would say spirit three in one those are the best biblical comparisons to a three in one god all right now if you uh go and you go to that one verse that uses the Father with a capital F as in the, the Father in heaven that the LDS speak to and believe that this Father in heaven was there and Jehovah, his son Jesus, was there. This is what it is, Isaiah 9, 6. And listen to the context of Father with a capital F. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God the Everlasting Father, capital F, the only place in the Old Testament, the Prince of Peace. That verse, that prophetic verse uttered by Isaiah through the Holy Spirit was in reference to the Son. All right? That verse right there brings out the Holy Trinity in the Old Testament plainly and clearly for us to see. The New Testament is full of supportive passages that support the idea of a trinity. 1 John 5, 7 says... 
For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Listen to what Jesus himself said, John 14, 7, If you had known me, you should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Okay? Now, the LDS smugly pull out several instances from the Bible to support their philosophy that the Son and the Father and the Holy Ghost are not one God, but they are one in purpose, but separate gods with separate beings and bodies except for the Holy Spirit. The first was brought up by the woman on the plane bringing uh, how come God the Father is speaking from a voice and the Holy Spirit's descending like a dove and Jesus is there. That's three separate and distinct. If you look at how it happened, if you look at Jesus condescending himself and coming and submitting himself below all things, and the Father is who he submits his will to to learn, to be an example for us, and then to suffer for our sins, it's no clue. Can God uh, speak while also being in the flesh here on earth? Come on. You know, the Mormons have, will teach their children that, that, that it's a ventriloquist God up there, that Jesus is casting his voice and making it come back down to mock the Christian idea of the Trinity. The second example they use occurs when Stephen is being stoned. And it says in Acts 7:55, But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of the God. And this just excites the LDS attackers of the Trinity. They're unaware of the blinders on their own spiritual eyes. If you read this passage again, listen. But he, talking about Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost. So, with the Holy Ghost was present in Stephen, and Holy Ghost looks steadfastly into heaven, and what does he see? He sees the glory of God. It doesn't say he sees God, uh, the Father, in a body of flesh and bones. It says he sees the glory of God, and then it says, and Jesus standing on the right hand of God, meaning the right hand of glory in the right hand of power. He's standing next to glory, not to something, and that goes perfectly well with what Christians believe. God is a spirit. The Holy Spirit is a spirit, descended like a dove, and Jesus Christ was in the flesh. All right? The LDS will say, well, how is he on God's right hand? Again, it's just a Hebraism to use the right hand of power, the position of authority. Quickly, two more, the Lord's intercessory prayer in John chapter 17. And it talks, and Jesus says how he wants his apostles to be one as he and his father are one. How are they one? They're one in spirit. And that's all he was saying, the apostles be one in spirit. Jesus and the Father and the Holy Ghost are absolutely one. One God, one in spirit. All right. Before we go to the phones, let me give you the number 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. And let me conclude with a scripture. Colossians 2, 8, 9 says, listen carefully. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That body that God is supposed to have could not have possibly dwelt fully in Jesus if the LDS concept of the, of, uh, of the Godhead is true. Okay, we're going to go to Jenny in South Augusta. Sorry, uh, went a little long. Jenny, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, um, Sean. I, I was so excited you were teaching on this tonight because um, I read in a book, and uh, I've got a Book of Mormon here. Uh-huh. And 
in Mosiah chapter 15. And so anyone who wants to look it up with me, chapter 1 through 5, it says that, let's see, uh, let's start, anyways, 1 through 5, it basically says that God is Jesus Christ in the form of, you know, in flesh that came down here to be sacrificed for us. 1 through 5 says it. Um, so does Second Nephi 10, 3. Yeah. And so does Mosiah 15, uh, sorry, 13, 34, and 35. I think it's three things there that they forgot to remove. Yeah. It contradicts with the book itself. That's a great point, Jenny. I really appreciate it. Sure. Thanks. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye-bye. I want you to know what happened was Joseph Smith, he went through several phases in describing and interpreting who God is. You can read about those at www.utlm.org. And he went from, but he went from describing God in one sense to describing God only as the Father and the Son only. And then he went into all these advanced, quote unquote, advanced ideas of God. The problem with the Book of Mormon passages, the title page is good because it calls Jesus the eternal God. That's a good one. Joseph Smith was under biblical teachings when he brought the Book of Mormon forth with his family and his thoughts on God were limited. But what he taught in the Book of Mormon actually was not Trinitarian. And so when you use that, uh, then the LDS think, well, see, he, we do believe that God is one. And look at our Book of Mormon. It's not true. He taught a thing called monarchistic monotheism then. And what that is, and as simply put, is that God the Father left heaven became Jesus the Son, who died and became the Holy Spirit. That's monarchistic monotheism, all right? And that's what the Book of Mormon really represents in its teachings, and that's not the Trinity at all. But it's close, and it's very different from the idea of what Mormons say God is today. So great point, Jenny. I really appreciate it. We're going to Brandon in Boise. Brandon, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, I got a question for you about God having a physical body. Yeah. So, in Genesis 32, Jacob wrestles with God. Yeah. How does he do that if God is only spirit? Well, uh, have you ever wrestled with God in prayer? Um, yes, but it's never thrown my hip out. Yeah, well, Jacob needed to have a, have a crippling before the guy was going to be humbled. And it does say angel of the Lord, doesn't it? Or does it say God? Um, I don't know about the subtitle of my Bible. Just I think it's Angel of the Lord. God. Yeah, it's Angel of the Lord. Although um, some people, I have heard Christians say that it was a Christophany and it was uh, something like that, wrestling with him, an Angel of the Lord wrestling with him. I don't know, but uh, I think that spiritual powers can snap a leg easily. Uh, so that, you know, I don't, if you're thinking that an Angel of the Lord can't wrestle with a human being and can't break it unless it's physical, I think that's really limited. So that, that is really, that's an angel of the Lord and not God himself. Yeah, it doesn't say God in that passage. Okay, it's just the subtitle of my Bible then. Yeah. Hey, good call though. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay, bye. We are going to Keith, uh, no, we're going to Matthew from Salt Lake City. Matthew, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? Hey, I'm, I'm doing well. Um, listen, I, uh, I uh, just wanted to comment on something you said last week, a couple weeks ago, and uh, about, uh, well, what, what brought, brought this uh, comment up is uh, after President Hinckley died. I, I mean, 
just like you said a couple weeks ago, this whole religion is based on man worship. Yeah. They are deifying this guy. Yeah. I've never seen... My parents, God bless them, are so convinced that this guy is such a better Christian than they could ever be, which is ridiculous. My parents are probably better Christians. They, never, they didn't spend their entire lives trying to delude people and, uh, and uh, you know, to... to um, anyways. Your point is well taken. I mean, I understand what you're saying completely. The, the, the church is, is really the, the way they are, are deifying him and making him look like some sort of a, a perfect person. He was a human being. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he was a, a decent person, not, probably not an evil man by any stretch, but at the same time, he, he's no better than you or I or anyone else. And it just, it, it just drives me crazy the last few days to see, the, uh, to, to see the, how they genuflect to his memory. I, yeah. Anyway, it, it, it's, you mentioned a couple weeks ago, it, this, they seem like they're glorifying man, not, yeah. not God, and I think it's a very telling. Yeah, amen. Thank, great call, Matthew. Bye. Thanks. Bye. You know, I can't help but agree. Uh, we have an email from someone who says, with the death of Gordon B. Hinckley on Sunday night, all the news could talk about was him. We had a major snowstorm come through Salt Lake City around 1130 Monday morning. When I turned on the news at noon, the first story was not about the severe weather or the 40-car pileup on I-15. Not what the roads uh, had been doing because of the accident condition. No, it was BYU students remembering Hinckley and the people at the Joseph Smith Building remembering Hinckley and so on and so on. We have now four different channels on the news at noon and all of them were talking about the same thing. Um, and, you know, when you read quotes like I read, you know, what he stands in all of his life and, you know, that it was because of his activity in a church that his uh, marriage was so good and everything is about man worship and it's disgusting. I will say that. Disgusting. You read through the Bible and all the passages are, man is nothing. We are grass that will burn under the hot sun. We wither as a flower. We are dust. And God is where all of our allegiance should be. And this is man worship. It's a great call, Matthew. Let's go to Keith and Boise online too. Keith, you're on Heart of the Matter. I'm on. You're on, brother. I'm on. You're on the air. Okay. All right, go for it. Keith, you're on the air. Oh. Hi, Sean. Hi. I gather you went from being a Mormon to being a Christian. You gather correctly. Uh, I went from being a Christian to being a pagan. Yeah, wow. I understand how that happens. Do you? Sure. It's, you know, it's not easy being a Christian. Pardon? You got to walk by faith and you got to believe in, you know, an invisible God and you got to pray and you got to live right and all these things. It's a pain. You know, <laughs> paganism can be very inviting. It's not that. <laughs> what is it? It's the it's the fact that as as I've practiced or understand pagan paganism for the last twenty years, it's a positive thing. Uh huh. I I just you know I watch the sunrise and I'm going I am blessed. You know here's another day I am blessed. So you worship the creation and not the creator. Is that right? It's it's not that no 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 I I give all thanks and credit to the creator oh it's just i can't understand how the creator doesn't just obviously bless me it's like the the whole original sin and all that thing is trying to 
get back to the creator, it's like the creator's yeah. right there. Yeah. Blesses he, me with everything. He does. And you know what? He blesses believers and unbelievers alike. He blesses the evil and the good the same. Jesus said that. And so that's one of the great things about the Creator is, is you are not obligated to believe in Him for Him to give you the very breath you take in every day to keep you alive, Keith. I mean, that is a wonderful thing about this God. But the only other thing is that this God loved the world so much that He sent His Son to die for the sins of the things, Keith, that you and I do wrong. And, and, and it's, He's not just, can't just say, hey, I'm so loving, Keith. Do whatever you want wrong. Come back to me. It's all good. Because then he would deny justice, you see. And then he would not be someone you could trust at all if he wouldn't be just. So he demands justice. And he sent his son to take upon the justice for all the sins we've done. And, and this great creator who blesses you, yes, he does. He wants you to return and live with him. You see, but the pagan way, it doesn't include this Jesus little this seg Jesus segment. Because what it does is it obligates you to then follow him. Oh, and that's the hard part, you know? Everybody can walk around being happy. Give me enough pot, and I will be the happiest guy in the world. I just will. But I you, didn't say that. But I did. And, and, and what I'm saying is, I mean, you can walk around happy, and everything is love and peace and harmony, and you can die that way. But that doesn't mean you're right in the sense of who God is and what he's done for you through his son. Go back to Christianity. Just try that, and because... I, I think, I understand what you're saying, but I think you're really following a road that leads to nowhere. I'm, I'm sorry, my brother. Because I just, the, the whole thing about the creator having cursed me, it's like, no. I am grateful for every minute, and if I don't have another one, hey, it's okay. All right, well. And... He, it's just that peace, I didn't find that in Christianity. It's like, you're going to hell. Yeah, well... Every tiny time you turn around, you do this, you do that. It's like, yeah, you're going to hell. It's like, well, hey... Hey, Keith. You know, if you want a t internal salvation, I'm going, I don't need that. I'm just grateful for, for having woken up this morning. Well, then that's probably the reward you're getting. Is there a way to get to that through Christianity? You know, I have that. I'm grateful for the breath I have and, and every day, and I'm Christian. I find that Jesus gave his life and gave it so that we could have life more abundantly. I don't believe in being dour and unhappy. I appreciate the creations. I appreciate good food. I appreciate life. Jesus did too. So I don't think that, I mean, maybe you got mixed up in kind of a, kind of a negative Christian experience. We're going to be in Boise, Idaho this coming, Wait. we're going to be in Boise, Idaho this coming Monday. Um, at the, and Sunday, go to our website, and maybe we can hook up and talk, Keith. Um, your website again? www.bornagainmormon.com. Hey, if you're going to be in Boise, I just might show up. Awesome, man. I look forward to talking to you. Hey, life is a blessing. Okay, God bless you. Bye-bye. All right, we are going to uh, Justin in Draper. Justin, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how we doing? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. I'd just like to say I love your show, and I used to be LDS, and my family has nothing to do with me. Uh, but I've found your show, and it's helped me out for uh, the past what, eight months. I've been wanting it. Thanks, man. And I just wanted to say um, my, they finally want to meet with me and 
um, see why I went the way I did, and I just wanted your input on what would be a good um, topics and on the scriptures in our discussion, what must have to strengthen my argument with them. I'll take your um, answer off the air. All right, Justin, thanks so much. Thanks, God bless. God bless you. You know, uh, if they were going to meet with you, I would just really stick to uh, talking about what Jesus has done for you in your life and how he's brought you peace and he's brought you comfort and security. And because of that love he's shown you first, you want to love him back by being obedient to him. And it's made an improvement on your life and your relationship with God and relationship over religion, that type of stuff. Do not go down the road of getting into a theological argument with them. Don't go into doctrines. They're going to try to get you into it because, um, you know, some of the people are very good at doing that and you can spin it out of control and then all hope is lost. Love them. And I just, I, I wouldn't even defend anything. I'd just say Jesus has changed my life. He loves me. And uh, it's made me want to be less of a sinner. And that's the approach I would take, Justin. Let's go to Greg. Uh, Greg, first time caller in Sandy. You're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Hey, I was just calling in, um, like, love your show, actually. Thanks. But, um, yeah, I just had, I, I just, maybe I'm calling to see if somebody can explain it to me as far as the, um, the first edition or the 1830 edition of the Book of Mormon on page 25 when it talks about, as it reads, as it reads before, I'll, it's I guess it's First Nephi, eleven eighteen, page twenty five in that okay. in that version. It says, um, "Behold, the Virgin Mary, or not Virgin Mary, the Virgin which thou seest, ceased is the mother of God after the manner of flesh." Yeah. And then they change that, and to where they change instead of "is the mother of God," "is the mother of the Son of God." Yeah. They change that later, I, I guess, to support the. The plurality of gods, but and there's actually on tw on 26 and a couple other places in that earlier version, and I I've just never been told. I mean, I'm sure they have, um, or maybe they don't. I just like to hear someone give me an example of why that would be changed if that wasn't in his original thoughts that he he did he was trained. You know, he believed in the Trinity and himself yeah. when, when he wrote this. Hey, Greg, it's a great point. Remember, and like we said earlier, Joseph's version of who God was, the ontology of God, the makeup of God, it was constantly evolving and shifting. And your point is a great one. You bring out to the LDS that the Book of Mormon that they said was true, that Joseph translated by the Spirit of God through the Urim and Thummim, and that he brought this out, and it's the most correct book on earth, has been changed so many times in areas of importance like that, that you can't believe it. And so that point helps LDS understand that it is not the book that it, they have been taught it was from the beginning. But the, the best answer is the one you gave. He was just trying to support his plurality of gods or that Jesus was not God later on down the road. Yeah, and that's, a, that's a, you know, I just like them to maybe look some, you know, because, you know, the Mormon people I have, I, I, I was born and raised in Utah. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I love and have a lot of family that's LDS too. And, you know, I just, the same thing, but no one has ever really answered that. And a lot of people shy away from it. I've, I've spoken to missionaries and everything, you know, and they don't ever want to, to bring that forth or anything. And, and I actually pulled up as much as I could. I never, you know, if someone has an original edition, they're welcome to, you know, to look at that to see if that actually is there. And I did the best I could to find a copy of the original. And, and I have faxes of that exact thing. Yeah. And, you know, and awesome. it does say that. It never, it does. It's not just someone saying it's changed, it's changed. That is awesome. Thanks so much, Greg. No problem. Thanks, Sean. Okay. I appreciate it. Bye. God bless. Bye bye. 
Listen, you can go to UTLM. I know I'm pushing them a lot tonight, but they've got a lot of information, www.utlm.org, because they will show you the original pages of the Book of Mormon there. They were the microfish company or whatever they started out, microfilm company, and they will show you the Book of Mormon, and they'll show you the changes and how what they've done. They've totally buffaloed you on what Joseph Smith originally taught in that book and the changes that have made, made along the way. So great call, Greg, and I challenge you to go to that website because you can find the facts out without believing one thing I say. Let's go to Season from West Valley City, a first-time caller. Season, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hello, Season. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Good. I just wanted to make a comment. I really respect your show, by the way. Thank you. Amen, Season. Thank you so much for that call. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Season didn't have a question. If you couldn't hear it, she just said she just wants the LDS people out there to know that um, you go and check these things out and search out the truth yourself. Find the truth. Go to Utah Lighthouse Ministries. You can go to our website and ask me a question, whatever it is. Search out the truth. And, you know, we tell people this all the time who are LDS and who are searching. I say go to God and just say, Father, please, Teach me the truth. I just want the truth, and I trust that you'll show it to me. Open my eyes, open my ears to know the truth, and then let him show you. Make sure that it's not other people whispering in your ear. Make sure it's not the things I'm saying. Oh, Sean McCready said this. Go and search out the facts, but go to God every night, every morning, start the day and say, Today, open my eyes to the truth. I am just challenging you just to do that every day for a week, two weeks, a month. Go to God every day and say, show me the truth, God. I want to know the truth about you and your son. Show me the truth. And he will not let you down. He will show you the truth. If you want to know, he will show you. Now, it may not be in your time frame. You may do that for a month and maybe you won't get that truth. And maybe five years later, suddenly, bam, and it happens. Or it might be the day you ask. I don't know. God works in his mysterious ways. But if you go to him and you sincerely ask for him to show you the truth, you're going to get it. You know. Now, if you don't want the truth, you go ahead and keep listening to everybody and everything you've been taught since you were a baby and all this revised Book of Mormon stuff and you know, man is that he can become God stuff and you believe in these fairy tales. But if you want him, and the only reason we do this is because we know what it's like to have him as a difference between being and that. And when you have a man, it makes life and it makes your view of life and your relationship with people and your hope for the eternities beautiful. Just like the guy from, from Boise said, without the pot. All right, we're going to Diana from Sandy. Diana, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Pretty good. Um, I, w I have a comment and then I'll get off the phone so that you can respond to it. Okay. Um, I'd like for you to read Matthew 28, 19, and I believe I've heard that the LDS people use this 
for their baptism also, and a little bit of a grammar um, lesson there. Name is singular, and if that is not the Trinity, then how else would it be? Ooh, that's a great one. I'll read it. Should I read it off the air or right now? She hung up. Uh, it says, this is Jesus' words, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Not in the names, in the name. That's a great, great point. Great verse. Thank you so much, Diana. We're going to Mary, first time caller in Salt Lake City. Mary, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, Mary. Thank you for all you do. You're welcome. I have a comment. Yes. It concerns forgiveness. Yes. Okay. Um, first of all, I'll say I truly hate people that hurt kids. I hate pedophiles. I hate them all. Uh-huh. Okay. Somewhere it's either Matthew or Mark, I think. It says, if anyone hurts a kid, there's going to be a millstone wrapped around your neck, and you'll be dropped to the bottom of the ocean. And that's, a better, that's better than to deal with what God has in store for you. Right. That sounds like good justice to me. I like that idea. <laughs> but I have a hard time correlating that with God being all forgiving because I sure don't want to forgive people that do that. Yeah. I'll hang up so I don't ramble, but would you please comment on that? Yes, I will. Thank, great call, Mary. Thank you. Thanks. And a tough answer. You know, as human beings, we cannot stand, uh, as normal human beings, we can't stand anybody that hurts a child that hurts a, a defenseless woman, uh, these predatory type crimes. And so we naturally want to kill them or hurt them, and, and I do. Um, but Jesus came for the sins of the world, and our obligation is to forgive. He says, if I have forgiven you of your sins, which caused the son to suffer, if you've been forgiven of the things you do, whether they're as bad as the pedophile or not, You've been forgiven, and God says, I want you to forgive, okay? And so as an obligation and a trust in him and a love for him and a responsibility as a Christian, we're going to forgive everybody of everything that they do. Everybody of everything that they do. Brutally tough, okay? But there's also a blessing in that. If you walk around with hatred in your heart, one, it says, according to Scripture, that you're not his because you can't hate your brother and love God. But also, to have that hatred in you is a tool of the dark side. And that darkness grows and turns to a root of bitterness, and it, it turns on you like a cancer. Even if you think you're justified in hating, even if the pedophile hurts your own child, the Christian's command is to forgive. As hard as that is, that's what we all strive to do as true believers in Christ. I hope that helped. Let's go to Don in Salt Lake City. Oh, wait, we're going to Joe. Joe, your first time caller. You've only got one minute, my brother. Go for it. I'll keep it short, my man. Hey, uh, I was just uh, reading on uh, KSL about the uh, prophet, and uh, he had a picture of Brigham Young behind him. And on uh, KSL, it said the prophet would sit there, and he would say, he would often wonder, what would Brigham do? And that just astonished me. <laughs> oh, did they say that on KSL? Yeah, they did. Oh, so that is classic. It's yeah, endless. What would Jesus do? The prophet would sit there and wonder, what would Brigham do? So, I, you know, that just amazed me. And I just Get another to wife. Love your show. <laughs> Keep up the good work, my brother. Thanks a lot, man. Bye. Have a good one. Bye-bye. What would Brigham do? That is amazing. 
And Brigham Young's last words as he's going off to die, what were they? Were they Jesus, God take my soul? They were Joseph, Joseph. This stuff is all man-centered and it's all about elevating men. And God is one God, and you can come to know who the true and living God is. If you go to the Lord, you ask Him for truth, you ask Him to forgive your sins, and you ask Him to come into your heart and be the ruler and leader and sovereign king of your life. As you do this, do it in the privacy of your home, own home. Don't tell anybody if you don't want to. You don't have to tell your LDS spouse or your children or your bishop or you don't have to tell your, your neighbor. You go in in privacy and you speak with God and you give your heart and life to him and he will start to work wonders in you. And then you'll come back one day and you'll say, you know what, all those things you talked about were right. I'm experiencing those now. It happens that way. We see this all the time. We have nothing to lose. I don't even want to talk to you about your membership. Go to the Lord and ask him to take over your life. Tonight, we're going to be at Denny's at 500 South, 250 West in downtown Salt Lake City for Pastor in the Pub. We'll see you in Boise if you're around there. Otherwise, we'll see you again here on KTMW TV 20. Heart of the matter next week. Bye-bye.